0: issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, the first in a series running throughout July, in which we talk about death. Wait, no, stay tuned in. You may remember that back in May, Hannah and I hosted a panel event talking about death for Macmillan. The chat was fascinating and the reaction was, more please, from listeners and panel guests alike. Well, we are not ones to disappoint. And so we've teamed up with Macmillan again for a Let's Talk About Death series of CHOPs, where we'll be going a bit more in depth into the topics we touched on at the panel event. Our first CHOPs guest is the brilliant Poppy Model, founder and director of Poppy's Funerals, a modern day funeral company aiming to revolutionize the funeral trade. And trust us, Poppy is full of incredible insider knowledge about what happens within the funeral industry. Basically, me and Jen spent the interview open-mouthed at some of Poppy's all-new information. Macmillan knows talking about death can be difficult, but having honest conversations and taking small but simple steps, such as, you know, writing a will, can help you and your family prepare emotionally, practically and financially. Macmillan Cancer Support offers a will-writing service to help you take that first step in planning for the future, so you can get on with living life as fully as you can. Visit McMillan.org.uk today for information and support. And now, over to Poppy. Prepare to be astounded as to what you can do in your own back garden. Hello, we are joined by funeral director and owner of Poppy's Funerals, Poppy Mardle. Hi, Poppy. Hello. I'm also with Jen. Hello, Jen.
1: Hello, Mickey. First things first, Poppy, why have you started a funeral parlour? It's a very good question. It's a question my mum is still asking me. (laughs) Um, Because beforehand, I had a very socially acceptable job. What did you do? I was a deputy director at Sotheby's Auction House. Oh, wow. Specialising in 20th century British art. Is that why you thought the insulation in here might be artwork? Yeah, I think about this all the time. I have, it's like you go into hospitals these days and there are like really fantastic bits of art on the wall. And it's, it's helpful. It's helpful to have nice bits of art. And we actually, in our beautiful client rooms that we have at Poppy's, having like proper paintings on the walls is like all part of our mission to sort of treat the living and the dead well. But I've bypassed your question, so I'm going to get back to that. So I, yeah, worked as other bees. It was unbelievable fun. Lots of traveling, lovely people. But I just felt like it wasn't really me, mm-hmm. which is a kind of deep feeling that I think a lot of people have. But it's pretty unnerving feeling because it's not very specific. <laughs> you know, if you work really hard to get a job and everyone around you thinks it's a fantastic job, it not really feeling you it doesn't sound like a very good reason to leave it behind and potentially head off into the distance. I
0: hear what you're saying and I agree, but isn't it strange that we trust the opinions of others more than ourselves yeah. sometimes, particularly in something that's so important?
1: But ultimately we might be losing the plot, I guess. Is the That's the yeah. thing I hear a lot, you know, from... And I may, like, don't want to jump in straight with a, like, feminist card, but I think it might be more a female thing that you're, you're kind of undermining your instinct for what's right for you and really wanting some like godlike figure to come along and say, I know just exactly the path. You should do this and do this, and that'll turn into this. I probably spent like two years in that drifty, you know, and also work was happy, and my job was good, you know, and mm-hmm. my, I was paid a good amount of money and all this kind of stuff. So it took me ages to kind of leave, and I think one of the good things about how long it took is by the time I left, my list of ideas was pretty bonkers at that point. What else was on the list? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i've always wanted to run a cocktail bar that was that was on the list as a kind of i don't actually think it would be fun to run a cocktail bar i think the but idea you thought a funeral
0: be, parlor would be i can yeah. see i can see yeah. the venn diagram oh no wait i cannot see the venn
1: diagram also what was on the list which i think is still on my list for like one day or someone else is a really fun bright shop for larger ladies clothing
0: uh-huh.
1: like really fun and and kind of expensive and amazing
0: come on poppy yeah
1: that in the front, funeral parlor in the back. Oh, <laughs> yes. No. Make it combine happen. Combine with a, with a white Russian kind of as you arrive. So um, what was the interest in the funeral? So the, why the, where did thing, that one win? So the death thing, I think, was so a bunch of things happened. So both my mum and dad had cancer within like a year and a half of each other, having had like a lifetime of my whole family just being like super well and absolutely fine and and tragedy didn't strike us and all this kind of stuff. And that was particularly strange time because as well as just being really scary and difficult, there weren't very many taboos in my family. So my mum had been a social worker and she was very, very taboo busting around like sex and, you know, equality and those kind of things. So we found that as a family, I think quite strange, or I did, that it felt... So my dad got ill first and he was quite ill and the information from the doctors you know as it always is it's not the doctor's fault but it it can be like quite hopeful and then it seems like quite hopeless and then you flip back to hopeful Mm -hmm. depending on like test results and who you speak to and I should say both of them are still alive and all is well but it felt like the rug was being pulled out from under my feet that we were a family of people where no area of conversation had not been explored and here was this thing which seemed pretty major and was going to impact all of us for sure at some point in Mm -hmm. our lives. And we hadn't discussed it. And I just remember sitting around the table with my mum and dad because my brother moved to America... And just, just this conversation that seemed to go on for hours about, you know, what might happen and what might we do. And that touched on if he died or when he died, like what might we all want or what might we feel strongly about. And I remember getting to the end of that conversation and my mum saying to me, like, I feel so much better. Now we've had that conversation. I felt like, I feel terrible. You know, I feel really worried now. And oh, so it was a different reaction yeah. for both of you. Well, I think she felt that she'd opened something up and sh- and shared something really important with me, which she had. But I felt like... I'm kind of really, truly understanding that you're both going to die and I'm going to be left for the first time in my whole life, which is ridiculous because I was in my, you know, I was like 27 or something. But I think think a lot of people would say the same thing, that you can know that death is out there without really knowing that it's going to impact you.
0: Absolutely.
1: We don't want to think about it. And so for me, so so then are other things, you know, which way too long-winded, maybe save it for a, a book one day. But I also went to West Africa and got typhoid and I was ill for like eight months and all this happened at the same time. Bloody hell. Blah, 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 blah. We'd had a really good run of things before then. So <laughs> it just left me feeling, it didn't leave me feeling like, I, you know, we're all going to die. I must be an undertaker. But it left me feeling like I'm someone who likes kind of opening topics up. I'd rather know something and do something about it than pretend something wasn't happening. And there was something for me around our family's experience of talking about death and dying that left me feeling, I think there's a whole world out there that is not being opened up in the way that it should be. And I'd like to be part of opening that world up. And then it was a bit of a journey. I think at that point, being someone in my late 20s in 2012, I think I thought I'd launch some kind of app or something. <laughs> and then quite quickly started speaking to some amazing people, including this amazing woman called Rosie, who runs the Natural Death Centre, left me feeling like what the public need is just excellent funeral directors. I, you know, they also need apps, of course, and information, but but they actually need the people on the front line to be yeah. doing an excellent job. And And that sector was and still is in a pretty bad way along the lines of, like, there's no regulation and there's quite a lot of bad practice and blah, blah, blah. And and I think I just felt like I like rolling my sleeves up and getting things done. It might sound mad, but maybe I could just help people with the actual thing rather than talking about the thing. So what does that entail mm. on a day-to-day basis? Mm. What do you do? Mostly we get phone calls from people saying someone has died. And so they might really have died in the last few hours. So if someone's maybe died at home or in a hospice and the death was expected then people sometimes get round to calling you right away. If someone's died at home, that might be because they l- literally need you to come and collect that person who's died mm-hmm. in the hours or day after the death. Sometimes we're getting a telephone call a week later, so if someone's maybe died in a hospital or in a hospice that has a mortuary and th- there hasn't been the rush to kind of get on with the next stage, then we might get a call you know, days or a week later to say, you know, my dad has died. And mostly in the world that we live in, sadly, people are saying... And I have no idea what to do or I know nothing about anything and we have no idea what we want and do you think my mum should be buried or cremated? You know, and that's really why I'm so keen to talk about this stuff, is if if you're coming into that huge and important life experience with no no anchor, you know, no sense of who you are or where this stuff comes in you knew exactly what was right when you got married or you knew all the right things to do when your daughter left home to go to university because you'd talked about it and you'd prepared for it and, and you had a sense of like how your family does this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people can find so difficult and it can be so unhelpful is if you, you're really putting so much power in the funeral director's hands, you know, we could manipulate that power if we weren't who we are. And I think that's one of the reasons why the sector's in a bad way is, is that our consumers or our clients come to us so unempowered and empower- empowerment is good super vulnerable yeah. and often really tired and spaced mm. out sometimes on medication you know really really not in good shape and I, and one of the parallels I draw quite a lot and having had some babies over the last few years it's only made me think more about it but you know we the way my mum talks about what it was like to give birth to my brother and I sounded quite similar like quite unempowered People didn't really have information. She felt like she wasn't really told what it was going to be like. Mm-hmm. The doctors were pretty patronizing and, and, and quite dictatorial in, in how they told you what to do. And then you got out of hospital as soon as you could just to get it over and done with. And now, you know, the way that, that women and men are kind of empowered with information, you can't control what happens during the birth, but you are certainly made to feel like you, you should be given choices the whole way along the way and afterwards and I think that's sort of the revolution that needs to take place with funerals as well.
0: Obviously when you've got these people who you've described as sort of vulnerable and not knowing what to do what would it have been helpful for them to know
1: or to have been told beforehand? Mm. So I think there's sort of two sides to it so I think the obvious side is just some really practical information just obvious stuff when you know it like When you die, there is no rush to make any kind of decision for the family with regards to what you want for a funeral. So particularly if you die somewhere that has a mortuary, which is most places, like most hospitals and and hospices, you know, the person who died will be moved into the mortuary. And it is really important if you haven't already to take some time with your family and close friends to to kind of ponder what it is you might want. And and what do I mean when I say that? I mean, do you want some huge public event, you know, that's going to draw... everyone you know is this for everyone or might something really private be appropriate for you Mm -hmm. might you want to split the event so uh, there are people these days who maybe might have a kind of very private cremation and then might later on have a kind of more public gathering a memorial or something like that what's important to you and I think some of these things you can't determine before someone dies because you don't know what you'll need you don't know how you'll feel so for example if I die when I'm 110 there might not be a Thousand people who want or need to come together to kind of mark that or go through that emotional process. If I was hit by a bus next week, there probably would be quite a lot of people who would need something quite specific. There's a lot of emphasis these days put on like you need to make your plan, and planning and talking is really, really good, but you've got to leave room for what you might need and you didn't expect to need when the time comes. So there's something really important there, I think, about not rushing. Even if a death has occurred at home and you've had to call a funeral director to come and collect the person who died. They don't need to be your funeral director you can decide you can change really yeah absolutely oh. so so you can think of that person as someone who is just caring for your dad for those days while you work out what it is you need and that funeral director you know logically lots of people would want to go ahead and use that funeral director and fingers crossed you've picked the best one first but if anything makes you wonder if you have or haven't then take the time to call. That's kind of my second piece of information is, you know, do interview people, you know, call a few funeral directors and make sure the person you're employing shares your values and shares your instincts about what it is you, what matters to you. So what kind of questions should people be asking you? People should be having a general chat, right? Because when you have a general chat with someone, you quite quickly get a sense of like, no, you're not my kind of person or yeah, I like you and I think you could help. Share your ideas with them and see if they respond really enthusiastically and positively or, or do they get a bit kind of computer says no about the whole thing (laughs) ask them questions about money how much is this going to cost if that matters to you for some people it really doesn't matter and and it's sort of not something they want to talk about but for a lot of people that's a huge concern and they and they aren't necessarily clear about the costs until it's too late i think those are the main ones i also would recommend you know because a lot of people might say to me the last thing i want to do is call five funeral directors get get your like pushy friend to do it Mm. do you know what i mean we often get calls from like an Aunt or a cousin or a, or a daughter or a grandchild kind of grilling us with with all that kind of energy that that someone has when they're doing something on behalf of someone they love because I think when you obviously when you've had a bereavement and everyone is like throwing themselves at you to be like, what can I do
0: what can I do what can I? that is actually something practical mm. that someone can do to help you and people mean it
1: so actually take advantage of mm-hmm. that let them do it and they'll do it rigorously yeah yeah you know, we yeah. we kind of giggle about the fact that we get people on the phone because our sector's not in great shape there's a lot of distrust when people get on the phone from a lot of the educated people who end up using us you know they're educating themselves they they don't just want to use any old company and so we get people coming onto the phone for very good reason just like abrupt you know abrupt and kind yeah. of just wanting to kind of grill us. And, and we love it, you know, because th- that's what we're trying to encourage is, is, make you know, make sure you feel good about the person that you've got representing you, advocating for you at this really important time. So that's all the kind of practical stuff like, you know, do you know you can keep your mum at home? She doesn't need to go to a funeral director's. If, if, for example, you wanted to care for someone at home after they died, that's totally fine and within your rights and blah, blah, blah. There are affordable ways of, of having funerals. All the kind of factual stuff that people should know and that we dish out through... Content and resources and talks and all over our website, etc. And then on the other side is the conversation, you know, which culturally we need to be having in our communities, in our families, much more often than we are. You know, it needs to be a conversation that comes up round the table from when your children are small. In my opinion, because children know, you know, my daughter. Okay, I do talk about death a fair amount, but (laughs) children have questions about these things, like they have questions about sex and where babies come from, and you know as parents as as godparents as friends and and grandparents we're not doing our duty to them if we brush brush it aside because it's really scary and my daughter yesterday we were lying on the bed and she said because we've had some deaths in our lives over the last few years and she said you're you're going to die at the same time as me and my brothers aren't you you know that's surely the best plan yeah for us. is you she know, suggesting a suicide plan i don't know what she's suggesting <laughs> she does like to lead so i wouldn't be at all surprised if she's made some kind of plan so it's really uncomfortable for me to have to answer that question honestly of course i'd love to say like yeah you know you're going to die first and i'm going to organize everything and you don't need to worry about a thing so to you know to find that language which doesn't come overnight so you know you, i feel all the time like we're having these little conversations which and i you know i I'm not expected, like, like God, to kind of be able to answer it all now. And I think that's another thing that parents get wrong, is this kind of, I need to just be able to, like, tie this whole thing up in, like, ten minutes. So the conversation we had was me saying, you know, if all goes well, <laughs> what I'm planning is that, you know, I, I would die before you, but it's going to be in a solidly long time. Like, you know, she's shared with me that she, like, really wants to have 100 children, so I wouldn't make assumptions about that. But So because she shared that with me, I've sort of said to her, you'd have children and they'd be adults if all goes well by the time I die and she's like well that's a really long time from now and I'm like yeah fingers crossed it's a really long time from now and then she wants to you know watch Mary Poppins or whatever so I think uh, I'm sort of heading down a (laughs) sort of segueing but I think the point is you know we need to be allowing this conversation to kind of drift past us and through us and it shouldn't be something that we have when someone's on their deathbed for the very first time because it's petrifying if you do it that way. Like, I'm definitely planning on taking my kids into the mortuary properly, like in the next year or so, because my oldest daughter is having these questions that will, we already talk about that stuff, and, and, but she's never seen someone who's died before. And I know that seeing that and understanding that will really help the puzzle fit together. I know a lot of people would think that's completely bonkers, but, but there's nothing like seeing someone who's died to help you understand what death is. And that's why children love to kind of poke dead wasps and stuff is that, you know, you can really have that conversation with children in that moment about like, can you see the wasp isn't moving? Let's bury the wasp. You know, you learn a lot about life when you do that. Yeah, we talked at the Macmillan
0: event. Let's talk about death. We chatted about maybe a school trip to a mortuary. So keen. Be a good
1: thing. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars.
0: Oh, hey people of Canterbury, people near Canterbury and people with weekend access to Canterbury we're bloody coming for you in the nicest possible way of course. That's right, our next live event is at the Marlowe Theatre in Canterbury on Sunday the 21st of July when we're joined by the always excellent Scummy Mummies, Helen Thorne and Ellie Gibson and socio-political powerhouse Keemar Bob for an hour of fierceness and funnies as part of the Marlowe Comedy Festival. It's going to be mint and you can get tickets via our website www.standardissuepodcast.com or by going to the What's On section of MarloweTheatre.com Come see us, let us see you Yes You touched on a couple of topics there that I want to go back to. You've mentioned several times that the industry is in bad shape and Mm. I just wondered if you could explain in what way
1: and what should people look out for maybe? Mm. So I think there's probably two things, two major things and you could sort of divide them by saying it's sort of out front and kind of behind the scenes. So out front is the fact that we have these very very disempowered clients who just hand over cash effectively, you know, aren't grilling us in the way they should be, aren't comparing services or standards or prices in the way that when I say they should be, I don't mean brief people should be doing this thing. I mean the sector needs to present information in a way that, that that can be done easily and that people maybe can access that information before they urgently need that help. But I think you're right. In every other aspect of life, you could
0: go onto like meerkat.com or go compare or compare the market and have all of these different options come up that set all the different priorities that you might tick these boxes. I want this, that isn't as important to me, but I want this, this and this. And that's not something that comes up for funeral parlours. I just want to say I love that you just called it Meerkat. com. Is it not called just that? Compare the Markets? Shows it's their called... advertising campaigns yeah. very, very powerfully. Compare the Meerkat. I don't know. When I was I buying, Meerkat. I liked it. <laughs> I think they
1: should change it to
0: Compare the Meerkat. <laughs> um,
1: yes, that's true. And and then and then you know it's not is it? it's not just about online comparison services. It's about with everything in life. When we're choosing a restaurant, when we're thinking about childcare, we also have this huge bag of information that we've picked up in conversation with our mates just through day-to-day life because we talk about those things all the time we talk about this great restaurant we ate at or we talk about the amazing nursery that our friends and old neighbours children go to mm-hmm. so that's the other thing is because is those conversations aren't happening you know when was the last time that someone said you know we just used the most amazing funeral director and I want you to know about them or, because when your time comes you know you should know which Now I'm saying it sounds like the most logical and helpful thing anyone can do. Yeah, it
0: really does. But it's that whole societal reluctance to bring up death under any guise. It's like going, when your time comes which it will exactly. people don't really
1: want to think about that But which it definitely will right you uh, may not eat at a good restaurant you may not need any childcare but you will certainly need a funeral director and it starts to make me sort of giggle over time but there have been a couple of kind of interviews that that people have asked me to do with news outlets where I've had a call the night before to say we need to delay because we've got a piece on today where like someone died or there was some death was involved in some way so you know it would be completely inappropriate to speak to a funeral director as part of that kind of segment you just think Um, "This (laughs) this is insane do you think i'm going to come on with some like size or dressed as a ghost or like i'm going to do really inappropriate things i mean we've totally got to make that happen (laughs) yeah no 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 but i think that's the part of the problem is the whole subject is being crushed so i think i've gone off topic but you asked about like what's wrong with the the sector so so that's part of the problem is that people are coming with no information putting too much power in the hands of people who are also unregulated so that's the next thing is that
0: i can't believe they're unregulated
1: there's got to be some regulation. There's no regulation at all. And, and that kind of comes hand in hand with a good thing, which is that there's very few rules or laws around what the public must or mustn't do around death. So beyond registering the death and there's also a kind of public health um, yeah. rule around not exposing a body in public and then there are some very general public health laws there um, must be some burial there are laws, but they're yeah. really so what so the upshot is that there's lots you are allowed to do so you are absolutely allowed to which you wouldn't be able to do in like lots of states in America you're absolutely allowed to keep your mum, for example, at home between the death and the funeral. There's no law that you so you don't have to use a funeral director. You can do everything yourself if you want to. Um, you can bury someone in your back garden and we've done that for a family before. Seriously? Yeah, in London. We buried someone in Tooting in the back garden. I guess um, you have to register that though. You otherwise. don't to register it. It needs to be sure on the deed me. to the property. Okay. So, so but what I mean is you don't need to get anyone's permission to do it. Yeah. It's your house. It needs to not be within certain distance of a water source and this kind of stuff. But it's really important to get out how free people are to do what they want in a culture where people think having a funeral is like, it's getting a visa. It's sort of following the rules. Mm-hmm. Presumably we have to have a black hearse. Presumably we have to have a religious minister, for example, it's really important to spread the word that it should and can be whatever you want it to be. Maybe one of the side effects of that or related to that is the fact that funeral directors are unregulated. Again, you know, regulation isn't always a brilliant thing. If if regulation gets what a funeral is into a straitjacket that limits people's choices, that's not a good thing. But the real worry is that the public think funeral directors are regulated. So you think there's all these people and bodies who are kind of going around and inspecting mortuaries and making sure they're in good shape, and and there absolutely isn't. There are some trade associations, which we are not part of, that have some kind of codes of practice, which, again, I think those trade associations could do with some modernising to really help the sector be the best that it can be. There's very little price transparency, so there's still the majority of funeral directors still don't have their prices on their website. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine there's quite a lot of upselling as well. So there have been exposés in the last 10 years that have shown that to be true. Mm. You know, big companies pushing people to spend more than they need to spend. There have been cases of big companies offering kind of performance and bonus targets to representatives who, you know, sell more of certain things. I think with those things being exposed, lots of those things have been driven back but if you have a company that is focusing on profits at the cost of other things then it's no surprise in a very unregulated market where consumers also have no power if people aren't behaving as best they could and then there's the whole back end thing so you know if the mortuary is a place where the public would never come would never ask about would never want to know where it is or what it's like it's not difficult to have a mortuary that is not in top condition and Mm. if you you know, we, it's one of the conversations that we have a lot at work, which is our mortuary is stunning. So it's in this kind of 19th century chapel, light flooding in through the windows, this like lovely wooden floor. So the whole place smells of wood. We don't embalm. So it doesn't smell of chemicals. It just smells of any normal living room. But no one wants to see it. So you're kind of investing in this space that, you know and and i'm total confidence that over the next kind of couple of decades that will change but you know we want to shout from the rooftops about how this how beautifully this can be done to a group of people who just don't want to hear about it you know it's kind of yeah. like a weird a weird situation so lots of mortuaries are kind of you know i think people misunderstand so often the shop on the high street that you go to to arrange the funeral if you looked at the floor plan of that shop you'd understand quite quickly that there's the dead aren't being kept there. You know, it's like a little high street shop. Mm. The dead often are kept in hub mortuary. So that will be a mortuary, you know, potentially many miles away where the dead are kept and that mortuary serves a kind of number of shops. Again, nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's not to say that can't happen, but... But I don't think the public know that, you know, so no. does it should you know where your granny is being cared for? I sort of feel like you should, particularly if there are assumptions being made. You're assuming that the nice lady you're speaking to is also going to be caring. You've told her how important it is that your granny's hair is done like this or that the scarf is tied like this. Oh, so they won't even be doing it. It's highly unlikely that the person okay. in the shop will be doing that thing. So so the way that the division of labor works in the sector is you have funeral rangers who are kind of dealing with the living and then you have mortuary people who are dealing with the dead. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's good for people to be experts in their field. But if there's no understanding of roles... If you've got your nice little shop on the high street and you think, oh, you're doing that, whatever, but so the hub mortuary is basically
0: a number of nice little shops have outsourced the rest of it, effectively to the hub?
1: I'm talking about, you know, a larger company that might have a number of shops being served by a hub mortuary that they okay. run and own, yeah. but the dead are taken there. Mm-hmm. And like that's a where... dead depot. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard it referred to by people who work in those companies as like a service centre. It's a place where the dead are taken, they're refrigerated, embalming might happen, they'd be dressed. And if you wanted to see that person, they'd be taken to the shop. Yeah. But the question is, are you told about any of that? Any of those logistics that happen behind the scenes People might say, well, I, you know, the clients don't want to know about that. How do you know? How do you know what they do and don't want to know? think if you tell people enough that they
0: don't want to know, we just end up not being curious anymore. It kills that curiosity, doesn't it? Whereas actually, it's fascinating, but all of this is new information.
1: And also, if you don't engage your clients in dialogue about what good looks like, you'll never know what good is. You know, you're, one of the things I have a bit of a problem with in the sector is very nice, good people, but I think making quite a lot of assumptions about what the public want and need Because they're like, well, we do it and we don't get complaints, so it must be good enough. And certainly with some of the, there's an investigation going on at the moment um, into sort of standards. And a lot of what you see, a lot of the communications that some of the more traditional companies are putting out is sort of like, oh, well, we've been doing that, everything included in the code of practice, for years. As in, like, so... It's sort of a sign of quality, like we don't really need to worry about it because we're doing all of that. But what about like innovation and doing things better and mm-hmm. talking to more people and talking to a wider group of people? And, and that's what I feel is significantly missing is regarding the bereaved as these sort of vulnerable, impassive, disempowered people. It's caring, but it is a bit patronizing. There's so much to take in. <laughs> the, other thing
0: that, the, the other thing that's come up a few times that I wanted to go back to is cost because you're right there's no transparency there about Mm. how much things are going to cost for a family who is organizing a funeral so if you could tell us what the basics might be
1: yeah and maybe how to arrange a funeral on a budget yeah definitely the first thing to say is that I guess there's two ways to have a funeral on a budget and you divide people who want to do things affordably very easily into these two groups so the first group is like I would like to I am Mm -hmm. willing to take on a lot myself Because it matters to me and or it's going to save me money, Mm -hmm. right? So, So, for example, let's go really extreme. If you're burying someone in your back garden, there's no costs to that necessarily. So there's no costs for the actual burial if you're doing that in your back garden. The only costs would be perhaps if you wanted to wrap the person who died in something or put them in a coffin. You can buy a coffin online for a couple of hundred pounds. You can. I'm not saying most people want to do this. But you can collect the person who's died from the hospital yourself. You can care for them at home. You can buy or make a coffin yourself. You can dig the grave yourself. You can have the funeral in the garden. It doesn't come across on the podcast, but Jen and I are both a bit open-mouthed at this point. <laughs> be quite a big garden, wouldn't it? <laughs> Depends how many people are dying. <laughs> yeah, it okay. makes most sense. That stuff makes mm-hmm. most sense. I think when you think about people who like have land, you know, maybe they have a farm that's being handed down in sure, family yeah. or. Kirsty Olsop's mum was buried on their family estate. You know, Uh that makes a ton of sense. We did bury this man in Tooting, so it does happen in kind of suburban London. So that's to say, I can't see any costs there. When you register the death, do you have to pay for the certificates? I think you do, but, you know, like registering a birth. Mm -hmm. So there are people who have done that and incurred basically no costs. Wowzers. Which is amazing. (laughs) But they probably, it was probably quite a tiring thing to do. Yeah. Keeping someone at home and keeping them cool and digging a grave. You know, all these things you'd be...
0: Where do you refrigerate someone? I've so got a smeg. No, I don't think it's big enough. All
1: refrigeration is, if you think about it, is keeping someone at a lowish temperature. So our refrigeration at work is kept between like five and seven degrees. And what you can do at home is you can get an air conditioner, cool a room down, and then you can use, you know, those ice packs that go in the side of like cool boxes. Mm-hmm. You can just lay those from like neck to groin, which is where obviously your intestines are and all the things that are kind of creating change and that will keep the body at a cool temperature. We've supported someone to do that for, I think, up to sort of 10 days um, wow. And you obviously could bury someone in your back garden within a matter of days. Again, I'm not saying this is what the vast majority of the British public <laughs> want to do. No, but I mean, it's interesting to know that Good you actually is an option. could. Yeah. yeah, yeah. in the same way, you know, that you can have your babies at home and, you know, there are, there are things that are available and to know they're on the table, I think, is quite empowering. If only to make your sense of what you want to do sound like a much less crazy idea, right? <laughs> if what you want is simply a pink cardboard coffin, suddenly that sounds less mad when you know that people are really doing absolutely everything themselves. Much more often, we'll get a call from someone that says this, this and this matters to me but that, that and that doesn't and the packages I'm being offered by the funeral directors just... It's packaging everything up together and I don't want a limousine or I don't need a black hearse. I don't care about what the vehicle is like. Or my dad was in construction and I love the idea of him turning up in his van. So first of all, there's something there about making sure that the people you're using to help you, if you're doing that, aren't charging you for stuff that you don't want and need. Because lots of funeral directors' packages will just start at £2,000 for kind of our professional services or or more that might just lump in a bunch of things that you don't need. Mm -hmm. Then there's another group of people who don't want to do anything themselves. They just want something really, really, really simple, and they want it to be as affordable as possible. So they certainly don't care about bells and whistles, but they want everything packaged up. And there's lots of companies now that offer something called direct cremation, which is a, a sort of cremation with no ceremony. And it's been really popular in you know Northeast America for a really long time. So like David Bowie cremated probably for kind of hundreds of dollars or a thousand dollars, and then will have had a kind of massive memorial i imagine Mm -hmm. later on we offer that service we call it simple cremation but but lots of funeral directors do it and lots of specialist organizations do it much more affordably than us that really what's happening is the person is being collected refrigerated at the funeral directors and cremated at a a crematorium often at a early morning booking at the crematorium which might be like half the price i'm sure there's a company in london that does that for like less than 1500 pounds when the average cost of a funeral, I think, is around the kind of £4,000 mark. Oh, wow. Um,
0: It's knowing that there are all these options, which mean you can keep the costs down as low as you... As you want. As almost free.
1: Yeah. Some of the most powerful experiences we've had, and and often we haven't been working for them because they've been doing it themselves, but we get calls from people that say, we don't need a funeral director, but we do need a bit of courage and confidence. Can you reassure us that what we're planning sounds possible and not? We've been told by all these people that we're barking mad and, and that it won't work and that you, that it's illegal and, and a huge amount of our work is, is saying like no all that is absolutely fine, call us if you you know that's the other thing is like try that. And if it doesn't work for you, call us and we'll be there within a couple of hours to help you. Families that might call and say, my child has died, and my instinct is that I want to bring her home. I don't want her taken to a funeral director's mortuary. I want to care for her myself. I've cared for her in life. I want to care for her now. So we can equip them with tons of information, just basic stuff about how to look after their daughter at home, in the knowledge that if in the middle of the night they panic or they, or they feel they've had enough time, we can come and, and, and collect her. And again, I think that's something that the sector has not thrived on in the past is is sort of like are you employing us or not because if you're employing us you're buying the package otherwise sort of sling your hook which isn't super helpful so the very first family we ever helped was a young woman whose young husband had died and she'd been told by seven different funeral directors that the minimal amount of help that she wanted wasn't something they could help with because it wasn't the package which mostly I just feel like is a bit inhuman you know you've got someone yeah. on the phone who just needs some help and that's where our sector is is complicated and needs to progress yeah I could talk to you about this all day. It's so fascinating. Poppy, where can we find you? poppysfunerals.co.uk is our website. Um, but you can find us at Poppy's Funerals on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook too.
0: I'm intrigued by the Instagram photos, I'm not going to lie. You'll love it. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Poppy Mardle for coming to chat with us. If it's got you thinking about how and where you would like to be cared for at the end of your life, choosing the funeral you'd like, the legacy you want to leave behind, or who you want to remember in your will, Macmillan has information and resources to support the conversation and to help you have it. Visit macmillan.org forward slash death to help start your conversation. And if, a bit like me, it's got you thinking about finally writing a will, macmillan.org.uk has loads of information and support on that as well.